morning. We're thankful that you're here. If uh, you're joining us online this morning, we're thankful that you are with us as well. I, I need to just say, I feel like I would be missing an opportunity if I didn't say, um, what just happened a minute ago? We, I don't know if you've noticed it. If you came in after the welcome, you don't know what I'm talking about, but we had more soul and spirit happening in this room when you guys were singing, uh, Jesus will fix it. So that was a, it was a pretty kind of a cool vibe we had going there. I appreciate you guys uh, doing that. Always appreciate Chris and the worship team uh, helping lead us before God in worship. Uh, I want to just say a quick reminder in case you missed, kind of made a big plug about this last week, but we're bringing Serve Day back after a several year break. Signups for that officially started last week. They'll go on until really the week before uh, Serve Day happens. This is an event that uh, we do with a couple of other churches here in town where we serve our community We'll still gather for worship that day. Uh, we're doing all of our signups online this year. That's the big change, and these QR codes are in the bulletin. They're around the building. Uh, you can also, you'll also be able to sign up on our web, church website, kaufmanchurch.org, starting this next week. Um, but there's, I think, 20, 22 service projects that we've coordinated and kind of pulled together, and you can kind of go through and read the descriptions of those, and uh, we'll be continuing to send that link out through the email stuff as well. So just be aware of that. Uh, also, I'm going to just I want to start by saying I'm going to the next two weeks we're going to be in a, a very short two week uh, sermon series on the topic of baptism, and so baptism is obviously something that is uh, a value to this church body. Uh, it's something that we believe is important for those of us that follow Jesus. And over the years, uh, we've taught a lot of baptism classes. Uh, I've preached a couple of sort of individual sermons on the topic of baptism, but the, the last time I actually did a, a series of sermons, kind of multiple sermons in a row on the topic was, I went back and looked because I had forgotten, but it actually was like 2016 or so. So that was surprising to me uh, that it had been that long. We've had a lot happen since then, so I guess that's okay. But um, I want to talk about it in more kind of a concentrated way over the next couple of weeks. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 to, to start. If you want to look there, it'll also be up here on, this, on the screen. But before we uh, look at Mark 1, one new thing that I want to mention that's kind of connected to this series is that uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, which is April 9th this year, uh, we're, gonna, we're planning to have a, a Baptism Sunday. Now, I want to take just a minute and explain that. Uh, baptism Sunday is, is, first of all, just kind of a simple definition of it, is, is a day that we're going to set aside, mark on the calendar, uh, to provide some intentional space uh, and, and in our gathering on a, on a Sunday for, for baptisms. And so we're praying that, that people will be making a decision about that. I, wanna, I also want to explain, because some of you may be thinking, well, that's a new idea, what's that? And so I want to explain that. Many of us, um, you know, in, when we made a decision to be baptized, uh, and, and maybe our whole life, when we've known of someone to make a decision to be baptized, when they were ready, people for many years, you know, you just did that whenever you wanted to do that. And you can still do that. Um, you know, you, I, I have lots of memories of watching people in my years growing up, people stepping out of the aisle, their, their own family didn't even know they were going to step out in the aisle and walk down to the front, and you made that kind of walk, really scary walk down front, uh, and nobody knew they were going to do it until that moment. But what we have found as a staff, as we've been having conversations, as we've had these baptism classes for the last five or six years, is that most people already know they want to make a decision to be baptized before they show up on Sunday. In fact, what we have been saying over the last several years is one of the reasons that we've been having the baptism classes is that 
We want, we want people to think about that decision. We don't really want it to be a last-second, spur-of-the-moment decision because we say things like, this is the most important decision that anyone can make in their life. And, and I think that what we, I think we believe that, but I also think that if we believe that, that we need to treat it that way, right? We need to equip people and prepare people to make that big decision. Uh, and so we've offered those classes, uh, and, and we've tried to do that as a way to kind of equip people to make that decision, to think about, really to count the cost and think about what it is that they're doing. And so uh, the main thing behind this, though, is that <clears throat> we know that lots of people already know before they arrive uh, what they want to do. And, and so what Baptism Sunday really is designed to do is to provide an opportunity for all of us to mark on our calendars a date that's scheduled where people can uh, plan to kind of follow through with the decision that they're already considering, because that also happens, right? People are like, I know I need to do that. I just keep putting it off. And so sometimes in life, we need a date on the calendar to make a decision that we've put off, and I'm sure we can all say amen to that. Uh, because we need something to help us make the decision to kind of push us to the point. And so we're praying that that day, uh, on that day, there might be some people who will make that decision. Certainly people can do that anytime they want, uh, but ultimately we recognize it's a really public and big decision, and like any other decision, we want uh, to help equip people to do that. And so be praying about that. Pray for those among us who may be thinking about that. Pray for your friends and family members who might consider that. Be, be, maybe share this teaching that I'm going to do the next couple of weeks in regard to this, uh, help maybe point them toward uh, some things that might be helpful in helping them think about that decision. So hoping that we will continue to increase the attention that we put on baptism and not decrease the attention we put on it. So that's the kind of commercial about that. Now, I also want to say at the risk, the risk of doing a series on baptism, even if it's just for two weeks, is that there is a whole group of people in the room or who will watch now or later online who might think to themselves, well, I've already been baptized, so this series isn't for me. Uh, I hope somebody else is listening. You know, maybe they're going to nudge somebody sitting next to them. And so I want to just say if that is you, even if you have already made a decision to step into the waters of baptism with Christ, um, this series is still for you. Um, and there is always room to grow and deepen our understanding of the commitment that each of us, if you've made that decision, have made to Christ, And so I hope to, over the next two weeks, show you what I mean by that. And uh, I want to start our conversation in Mark chapter 1. And my hope is that if you've already made <clears throat> that decision, that uh, as we think more deeply about this, this commitment that we made to follow Jesus, that, that that will deepen your affection for and love for Christ as well. So Mark chapter 1. Mark begins his version of the story of Jesus in a way that is different than every other gospel writer. He, he really just jumps into Jesus' ministry. Mark really tells us nothing about Jesus' early years. Uh, and at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we meet John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is an interesting guy. He's, uh, he's out living in the woods uh, he's living among people who had separated themselves from the rest of the community. His diet is, is bugs and wild honey. Uh, he wears clothing that's made out of camel hair. Uh, he's, he's this really interesting guy. But while he is out there, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God and baptizing people in the Jordan River, which is where Mark chapter 1 picks up the story. We're going to begin reading in verse 4. This is what Mark writes. <clears throat> And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching 
a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair. He wore it with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Part of John's message, Mark tells us, was that there was this one who was coming who was greater than him. Someone whose sandals he was not unworthy to untie. He was, un- he was unworthy to untie. And Mark tells us that as Jesus arrives out in the wilderness to see John and the others gathered there who are being baptized by John, who are following John, they are at the place called the Jordan River. And this place where Jesus was baptized is is just a minor detail really in the story, but it's really, really important. It's important because this river is the river that the people of God crossed over when they were leaving the wilderness and they were going into the promised land. Israel had been slaves in Egypt in the Old Testament. And God, through Moses, of course, leads them out of Egypt and toward the promised land, but Along the way to the promised land, they have some struggles. They have all sorts of challenges. They struggle to trust God, and they end up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, a a generation. And at the end of that 40 years, the thing that separates them from the promised land is the Jordan River. And on the banks of the Jordan River, there they are, and they're gathering, and they're looking across, and they can see the promised land. They can see the direction that they're going to go, which is just... They're going to first kind of have to take over the city of Jericho, but after that, they will begin to entering into the promised land. But the Jordan River's in the way. And right as they're there, kind of on the banks of the Jordan River, Moses, their leader, dies. And so God raises up another leader, a guy named Joshua. And God instructs Joshua to lead the people of Israel through the Jordan River and into the promised land. And so we're going to pick up. The story, I want to read this story together in Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. And I'm going to jump down to verse 9 and read through 17. This is what it says. <clears throat> Joshua said to the priest, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. I had to practice that line a lot this week. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. Next slide. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Can you imagine this scene? You've been wandering around in the wilderness maybe your whole life if you're 40 years old at that point. Carrying all your stuff, your kids, you probably have kids hanging off of you, you're carrying your life. And walking across this river that is at flood stage on dry ground. It's an unbelievable scene that we, if you've been around church at all, you've, you've heard it before so it doesn't quite strike you I think in the way that it probably should strike us. It's an unbelievable scene. The question that I ask as I hear this story, though, is why does God do all of this? Like, there's got to be a reason that this is happening. Why does, what lesson is God wanting to, them to take away? And the story actually gives us one answer to that question. I want to pick up in Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says next. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them, to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And so Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to... So you know how big the stone is. According to the number of tribes of the Israelites, 12, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. We learn as we read this story that they did this, this these carrying of these stones that were large enough to place on their shoulder and set them on the other side so that later in their life, when, when their kids or their grandkids say, hey mom, hey dad, hey grandpa, why are these large pile of stones here in this place? Where'd you get them? Is there a story behind it? You sit them down and you say, oh, these stones? Let me tell you a story. And then you tell them, God says, the story about the Jordan River. You tell them about the time that God pushed back the water and and so that your people could walk through on dry ground. You tell them about the time that you passed through the water and were brought into a new life with God, the land that he had promised to you. What God wants them to tell, of course, is their story their testimony about how God had worked in their life, not miraculous things that they had done. These stones are impressive because they come from the bottom of the river. They have to be carried on a shoulder. You only have, let me say it this way, you only have these particular stones if you went to the bottom of the Jordan River to get them. And these stones are a sign, it says, I want you to think about a sign. What does a sign do? What purpose does a sign have? What is its job? A sign points 
to something else, right? No one arrives, no one goes on a vacation to see a sign of the Grand Canyon. That has never happened in the history of people visiting the Grand Canyon, right? When you're going to the Grand Canyon, you will see signs pointing you to the way, but it would be foolish for you to stop at the sign pointing you to the Grand Canyon and go, ah, I have arrived at the Grand Canyon, right? The point isn't the stones. The stones point to something else. And in this case, they were pointing to God. And here's the thing. This moment in Israel's history we have to be sure we understand, is a part of Jesus' story. It's a part of his DNA. It's how he has been raised. It's a story that's been passed down to him from his childhood. He was once one of those kids sitting around with a group of other kids, and some older person said, let me tell you this story about God, this time that God worked in our past, about how our ancestors stood on the riverbank of the Jordan River, and God led them through the waters into the promised land. And so Jesus grows up. And when it comes time to begin his public ministry, he goes to his cousin, John the Baptist, who we're told is also out in, interestingly enough, the wilderness. This time I want to read Matthew's version of Jesus' baptism story. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13, this is what it says. Then Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, you can leave that up for just a second. Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And he arrives again at the Jordan River. At the place that is full of so much rich history. And John the Baptist, of course, knows who Jesus is. So he protests. He says, I can't do this. I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. You could take over from here, right? I understand what's happening. I've just been preparing the way for you. Preparing people's hearts to receive the message about the kingdom of God that is at hand. And Jesus says, no, John, we have to do this. We have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. We have to go out into the Jordan River and come back out to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to come back to this in just a minute, but I want to just say here that Jesus wasn't baptized to cover or to wash away any personal sin. He didn't need to repent of any personal sin. You know that we believe and we practice in our church, as do most churches, that baptism, the practice and act of baptism is done for the forgiveness of sins. And in church, we use language like our sins are being washed away, which is true. But I want us to never be confused about who it is that washes the sins away, about what, how it is that the sins are washed away. The water does not do that. The water plays the same role for us that the water played for Israel. It is there so that we might pass through it to the other side. It is a sign that points to a Savior. Right? We come to Christ, and as we do, friends, what we find, what you found, whether you realized it or not, when you came to a relationship with Christ, is that your sins had actually already been forgiven. We understand that, right? That's what we just celebrated a minute ago with this meal. The act of the forgiveness of sins has already taken place. 
Forgiveness has already happened. Baptism is our response, our embrace of, our immersion in, if you will, into the fact that you already, you have already realized and expressed and understand what has happened. You know that Jesus has already forgiven you. I want to say it this way. Baptism is a physical expression of a spiritual action. There was a spiritual thing that happened, the forgiveness of our sins. And our baptism is the response of, the expression of, the immersion into this spiritual truth that has taken place already on the cross. Baptism is a sign of something that is happening inside of someone. But baptism itself doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. Amen? Do you think that those Israelites, just as an example, do you think those Israelites that walked through the Jordan River ever thought, do you think they ever thought, I think that that water that we walked through is what saved us? Of course not, right? Why? Because it was so obvious to them that God was doing this. It was so obvious to them that it was God that saved them. The water saving them was never a thought. But somewhere along the way, many Christians have made baptism more about the water than the saving work of Jesus Christ. And we might need to repent of that. Baptism is like those stones that Israel took from the bottom of the Jordan River. It is a sign that points us to a Savior. The water being pushed back in the Jordan River was a sign that pointed people to the Savior that was doing that, was doing the saving. And I say this, I say this next part in a lot. If you've been in one of the baptism classes that I've taught over the last five years, you've probably heard me say this. Baptism is like a wedding ceremony. Now, I want to show you this picture of these babies from 2002. March 23rd, 2002. I mean, come on, man. Look, look, at, look at us, Lana. That was, <clears throat> we were babies. On this day, on that actual day, we stood before friends and family, and we committed our lives to each other. But I want to say this. This wedding is not what made us married. The words that were spoken in our wedding, like many other weddings, I pronounce you husband and wife, were not what made us married. The state of Texas and some little piece of paper that we had to have signed is not what made us married. What made us married is the 20 years that have followed this day, right? The wedding was an outward expression of my affection and love for my wife, it was the outward expression of something that was already happening in my heart years before this day ever happened. And the idea of marriage isn't that a person gets married and then they're like, all right, I've done it, you know, just prop my feet up here and just going to hang out until the end. No, that is the beginning. I mean, if that's happening in a marriage, it's not going to last very long, right? The marriage is the beginning, and a person's baptism is the beginning of their journey, which is why I said a minute ago that if you made a decision a long time ago, you still need, we still need to continue thinking about the decision that we made when we committed ourselves to Jesus, when we married ourselves to Jesus Christ. Because in the same way that a couple would continue to express and show their affection for one another, you don't just do that on the wedding day and be like, I already told you I love you once. I got to say it every single day. No. You continue to think about and, exp and, and continue to think deeply about how to deepen and increase the affection that you have for one another. 
This is one of the ways that you create a healthy marriage. And it's one of the ways that we create a healthy understanding of our relationship with God. It's the beginning. Baptism is the beginning. And so I want to go back to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. Let's look again at Jesus' words. He said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says the reason for his baptism is not is to fulfill all righteousness, right? And I want, I want to think about that phrase, to fulfill all right. What, is that, what does that phrase mean? That word righteousness is actually a covenant word. It's connected to God's promise to Israel. I think the reason that John consented when Jesus said, I got to do this to fulfill all righteousness, is that John was like, oh, oh, okay, now I'm beginning to get it. You, you got to do this for a bigger reason than just the reason that other people have been doing. This is something else that's going on. It's connected to God's promises to Israel, and John begins to understand that. Jesus, I want to say it a different way. I want to say this same thing in a different way. Jesus, I think, is saying, I am doing this to be faithful to God's plan. And I want to, I want to, say, it, I want to say it this way, too. What Jesus is saying, what he is doing, I think, is reenacting the story of Israel. In the Old Testament, Joshua, which is pronounced in Hebrew, Yeshua, leads Israel through the waters of the Jordan and into the promised land. And now Jesus, standing on the same bank of the Jordan River, Jesus, by the way, which in Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua, is also reenacting this scene the new Joshua, you might say. He's reenacting this scene, going through the Jordan to announce a new exodus, a new entry into a promised land, a future that God has prepared for God's people. He's, Jesus is announcing, if you will, that we are entering into the promised land. We're leaving bondage. We're leaving Egypt. We're leaving slavery. We're leaving our lives of wandering in the wilderness and we're entering into God's future. This is part of what happens in baptism. And is that not a richer, deeper, more complex, and more full picture of what baptism is? And so why, why was Jesus baptized? Well, you could say it this way. Jesus leads people through the waters of the Jordan in order to ultimately lead everyone who will believe into God's revolutionary kingdom. Jesus is being a leader, essentially. Right? He's leading people into the waters and into the kingdom of God. And so our baptism then, when a person is baptized, it's, it's done in response to the fact that we are sinners. But it's done, we're, we're sinners, we need to establish that. It's done in response to the fact that we are sinners and we, are, we, we need someone to save us. It's done in response to the fact that we are stranded on the bank of the Jordan River and we can't get over to the promised land. Unless somebody pushes the water back and allows us to go through. So baptism is a response to the fact that we are sinners. But just as much, it is a response to the fact that we have already identified who our Savior is. We know who he is, and we are surrendering ourselves to him. I want you to picture a person's baptism in our day like they are standing on the Jordan River. They're looking over. They can see the promised land. They can see new life that God has prepared for them. 
And in order to reach that place, they, like the Israelites, have to take the first step, which is always the hardest step. You think it was scary stepping into the river when that group of 12 had been chosen by Joshua to go ahead of the Ark of the Covenant? When they went into the water, they started seeing it push back on each side. Do you think they were scared before the first step? Because I know I would have been terrified. What I want to say is that when a person is baptized, they, like Israel, are simply walking into the water. They are investing their bodies. They are immersing their bodies into their faith. That by entering into the waters that you, like Israel, are passing through in order to reach the promised land. Again, is this not a more compelling way to think about baptism? I know for me it is. And so the question that I want to leave us with this morning is, do you believe this? Do you want to believe this? Do you want to believe that the kingdom of God is a real kingdom? That it's a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of forgiveness and healing and mercy and righteousness and justice where things are made right in the world? Do you believe, do you want to be a part of this kingdom? Because you are invited The saving work of Christ has already taken place. Baptism has become a response, a portal through which we walk through the waters out of this broken world and into the world of God's new creation. All of those who follow Jesus walk through the waters of and walk through the waters of baptism are they they enter into this revolutionary kingdom. And if you want to participate in this kingdom, of course, it means the first thing we have to do is repent. Right, which is a Bible word. Repent is not a word we use very much. But it means you have to want to enter into a life with God. If the Israelites stood there on the side of the Jordan River and they're like, ah, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I'm kind of good, you know. No, it's it's this this decision, right? Repentance is this moment where you say, I am committing to turn from my life and to surrender myself to God. Giving yourself up, marrying yourself, if you will, to Jesus. And if we're going to do that, friends, we have to rethink some things. You're going to have to rethink probably your entire life based upon this revolutionary kingdom. Because Jesus, when we are baptized, our whole life is baptized. This is one of the reasons that I I like and I think that the practice of immersing someone is the right practice. Because it's it's this visible, visual sign that you are Your whole life is going to die, and a whole new life is going to be raised. Which means my opinions, my priorities, my schedule, my money, my time, like I've given myself to this kingdom. Which means we probably have to rethink some things, which is why if you've already made that decision, but that's not the way that baptism was presented to you, it still is true whether it was presented to you or not. That you were agreeing to give your life to Jesus in the same way that a person, when they're married, is agreeing to give their life to their spouse till death do them part. And so for those of you who have already made that step, I want want to challenge you this morning to remember. I want to challenge you to look at the stones that were picked up from the middle of the Jordan River and carried across to the other side. How has God been good to you? How has God been faithful to you? How has that decision to step into the water 
formed and shaped your life in ways that you could have never imagined? Will you tell that story when someone asks you, hey, tell me the story about the stones. And by the stones, I mean the water that you stepped into. If someone were to ask you that question, could you say, sit down here, let me tell you about a time that I passed through the water. And I came out on the other side, and there were some challenges on the other side. I wasn't perfect on the other side. There were still Jerichos to be taken down. There were still some things in my life that needed to be undone. But God was with me, and I knew that because of this moment when I took that step and I committed my life to him. Will you tell that story? Today, to end our time this morning... We're going to move into a time of prayer, and I'm going to continue this conversation next week, and so I want to, in, I want to invite you to, to come back and be a part of that, uh, to tune in online if you're not going to be here, or to find it after you get back into town, whatever needs to be the case for you. But we're going, to, we're going to transition from the sermon into a time of prayer, and so I want to explain really quickly what this is going to look like. We've done this before, and so this will not be new for most of you. Uh, but around the room this morning are going to be uh, some prayer groups that we're going to have. Uh, hospitality, praying for children's ministry in our schools, student ministry and Soul Link Youth Conference that's happening next weekend. A group that's going to be praying for physical needs and health. And a group that is going to be praying for discipleship. So you can kind of look at those topics. Hospitality, that God will continue to lead Kaufman Church of Christ to be a place of welcome for our neighbors children's ministry in our schools, that God will grow the faith of our kids, that God will protect the schools where our kids study and give us opportunities for kingdom investment in those spaces, for students and for Soul Link, for our teens and their faith, that God will continue to work in their lives for Soul Link Youth Conference this next weekend, for physical needs and health. We have many in our body that are dealing with challenges in life and with their health, and so we're going to have some time for healing, prayers for healing for that, and then discipleship that will continue to uh, to be committed to following Jesus wherever he leads us, that we will act justly and love mercy and walk humbly, that we will have an increasing burden to share Jesus with other people. And so uh, you want to show the next slide. The next slide will show, show you kind of where those groups are going to be around the room, uh, and you can kind of make your way. There's going to be elders and staff at each of those spots. And so I want to ask if you would to stand with me. Uh, and then there's, there's, I'm going to pray and then be a, ask you to begin moving into those spaces after we're done with these prayer groups. Um, and, and, so, and, you're, and you're invited to pray. So the people who will be there in those groups uh, are going to kind of coordinate that. But we really want several uh, people to pray, four or five people to pray in each of these spaces. Uh, and, and after that time, you can kind of stand where you are. Kent Wilson's going to come up and he's going to lead us in a closing prayer, which is going to be the Lord's Prayer uh, which we have not said together this week. So some of you were wondering, Doug, you said we were going to say that every week, and when it hasn't happened. So that's going to happen at the very end. Uh, and so I want to pray for our time as we move into that uh, and ask God just to hear our words and our prayers as we lift our hearts to him. Let's, let's pray. Father, we, we come this morning. We're thankful that you've invited us into life with you. We're, we're thankful for this, this physical act of, of baptism that that creates this opportunity for us to, to surrender ourselves and give ourselves over to you, to immerse ourselves in the way of Jesus and in the kingdom that he came to build on the earth and in heaven. And God, I pray this morning as we gather that you will, as we, as we gather in these groups to pray that you'll hear our prayers, uh, that you'll hear the desires of our hearts, that you will 
Listen to our hearts and our words as we give them to you. I'm thankful, Father, for this church family and for the ways that you are at work in us. We pray that you will uh, not only work in these areas that we've chosen to pray about today, but that you'll work in ways that we could not possibly imagine. We ask you, Father, uh, to hear our prayer now. We pray in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen. If you would, at this time, begin making your way to one of those spots around the room, uh, and we will gather here in just a second once everybody gets to their spot to, to begin praying together.